0: The intended outcomes are the same. Nobody's ever said, at least to me, I want team bonding. Or (laughs) I I just want clarity. It's always clarity on what. There's always work that they want done. By the way, if you can have fun doing it, that's a bonus. I think the outcomes, it's work. I think what we've always offered is a a different or a fun way to do it through drawing and playing games and it it, it translates from the offline environment to the online environment. You are listening to the Align Remotely podcast,
1: the show dedicated to helping you lead distributed teams under difficult circumstances. I am the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade. As a practitioner, I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. Before getting into remote work explicitly as a topic, I spent a lot of time in product development, innovation. And that's quite an uncertain and volatile environment usually. One that's quite difficult to manage in the typical way, where in fact you need to be open to constantly reprioritize as you go, as you learn new things. There is a good amount of analogies to What happened during the pandemic for a lot of companies that don't typically do much of this kind of thing, they were forced to either develop new products or completely reprioritize what they were doing in that context. And also in the remote work context, I think the one tool or framework that's been most useful for me is a particular flavor of design thinking called game storming. Honestly, the original book would probably be on my desert island list uh, of books that I would want with me if I did get stuck on a desert island with other people. Game Storming itself comes from that book. It's basically an encyclopedia of patterns of how to make sense uh, of complicated things together, how to coordinate things, Um, and... It's basically a tool for facilitation, probably the best I've ever seen. And today on the podcast, I have Dave Mastronardi, whose claim to fame is that he's been televised in both Koreas. Um, He is an expert facilitator, and uh, for the purposes of this conversation, uh, in addition to that, he's the current CEO of GameStorming, the company built around the book. And together, we dig into a lot of details uh, into how this works, and more importantly, how it works in a remote environment. Can you say a few words about GameStorming and why you got into
0: it in the first place? GameStorming, the, the book, the publication is 10 years old this month, actually. And it was 10 years ago this month that I was introduced to it. I was working at an agency in Austin, Texas, and I was doing strategy work. And by way of education, I have a a business degree in, in economics, and I have an MBA. I didn't go to art school. I wasn't a capital C creative. And I was essentially filling up slides with text when the agency I was working at acquired Explain, the agency that Dave Gray, the author of GameStorming, and uh, James McAnufo, the author of GameStorming, had founded and were working at respectively. And so then they became my colleagues, and all of their colleagues became my colleagues. And I was surrounded by people who were capital C creatives, and they had gone to art school and they worked in a very different way that I did. They worked out loud as people like to say, and they put stuff on the wall, visual thinking. And so that immediately spoke to me. It was a different way for me to do the work that I was doing individually. It changed the way I work. Over the years with with different jobs, I've taken game storming in different forms with me. Now I get to do it as my job. It it is to help people learn how to work because nobody teaches you how to work, and that's what it was to me. It was all of the things that professors in school or, or bosses they they had wanted the outcomes, but I didn't know how to do it. Gamestorming, we, we use the metaphor of a a cookbook. It's those are the recipes to do all of the things that are expected of you or are good for you in a job as you're figuring out what to do or how to do it, new ideas, how to prioritize the step-by-step for how to do it. I think because that's my story, that's what I'm interested in, in doing now with GameStorming.
1: Describe that transition a little more. You came from more of a PowerPoint Excel type background, if you're talking about strategy. How is that different from visual thinking?
0: From a creative standpoint, I think you can be creative on any media, right? You can be creative in a spreadsheet and, and you can certainly be visual in PowerPoint. For me, a lot of it was about the process. You were creating the work while you were doing it and you're doing it collaboratively with your colleagues. And then You would back away after the 30 or the 45 minutes of that particular exercise, and it might look a little rough in the sticky notes, maybe scattered all over the place, but you walk away and you look and say, oh, that's what I needed. That's the thing that I needed to create. Instead of me being at my desk, trying to come up with this idea, we just did it. And we came up with a bunch of other ideas, and now we can use this to move on to the next activity. The term that I use a lot is fuzzy goals. You create these artifacts and it creates this momentum, it creates this energy. The biggest change for me was doing it in public with groups and with teams and getting the work done while you were in the process of having the meeting or doing the workshop. It wasn't something that you would have to come back to later. A lot of it was the ins and outs of the facilitation, or how do I set this up? How do I get us to that point in the meeting or in the workshop, that it all came together. Because sometimes, you, especially early on, you wonder, why are we doing this exercise? Or why did we use that particular question to frame what it is that we're doing? But then some point later on, you realize how it all comes together. And that was something for me that felt like magic at first, you know, when I saw somebody who was really good at doing it. and the The transition was as much about this first. It was following the steps one, two, three, and just be, being very specific and, and very almost anchored to the book and what it said to do and, and how to do it and how to draw the canvas and how to ask the question and how to move to the next step. It was very mechanical at first. And so that, I think that was the first part of the transition. And then one step back from that is how do you string these things together to get that output, that magic feeling where it all comes together in in one exercise or one activity by the end of the day, when you look back, it, it all makes total sense. And then I think after that, it's improvisation. You know what you're doing, you can do anything you want. So I think that's the third stage. And I think you, we talk about it from apprenticeship, to practitioner, to master game stormer. And I think the, the mechanics of it to then putting it together, putting a, a proper opening, exploring, closing agenda together. And then the improvisation where it's like magic and the people in the room wonder, how did you know to do that then? Or why did, but you've just done it so many times. It, it flows and you've got so many different situations in your database of options that you, can, <laughs> you can pick and choose the right one to do in the moment because you, you've been in this situation before what's going to get the attendees the workshoppers going where they're stuck and I think that's what I think that's what magic is <laughs> it's repetition and maybe a little bit of an insight that you know other people don't have just because they haven't done it as many times as you have done it
1: you were saying that working in public is important how do you get that to come together because you've got multiple people at once it's not just you sitting at your computer tweaking a spreadsheet or something that's a different feel you you don't need to communicate whatever you had at the meeting because everyone was there anyway but in terms of the actual dynamics like how do you get it to work when it does
0: You don't have to actively be working on it for it to be impacting you. Mm -hmm. I think there's a saying, nothing exists until you write it down. You have to put the thought or the idea, and most of the times those first ones are going to be wrong, but you have to get them out there because you can't get to the next one until you get that one down and out and it's wrong and why it's wrong and other people say it's wrong or how it could be better, and then you you move on from it. But, But you have to get it out. It's prototyping, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very rudimentary form of prototyping. A lot of times when we could be in person, one of the things that we would seed as part of the setup before people even got into the room, depending on what the workshop was, we would put stuff up on the walls. We would have framework cards. We would just put that on the desk. And then you're wondering maybe later on when we ask you to come up with a concept or to explain a concept, You've got this somewhere back here. <laughs> oh, let me explain this concept like an exploding engine diagram. Now I've got 50 or 60 different versions of this that we, we scatter around. So you look at it, you, you process it, you process visual things quicker than you process text, then you move on, but it will come back. That's why we wanna put the work up for, from every step in the workshop you got it out you, you put it into the world you put it into existence now put it up on the wall so it's there and every once in a while you glance at it and somebody else at your table or at another table on another team is looking at it you can do it in a forced way with something we call a gallery walk we say all right now we've just come up with all these concepts we want everybody to go around the room and look at them and put a post-it note what do you like about it what question do you have about it so you're forcing them to process it but they, again, you don't have to be, I don't have to put this on the table and necessarily also put it into the agenda and say, okay, now we're gonna describe things like an exploding engine diagram. I've incepted you, right? Like mm-hmm. now that's in your mind. And I guarantee you at some point before the end of this conversation, or maybe it'll happen before the end of the week, you're, <laughs> gonna, think, you're gonna think of a concept in the terms of, of that diagram.
1: How do you think about designing a workshop? How do you weave in these concepts that you've incepted people with?
0: When I think about a workshop, first we're going to start with our open explore closed philosophy. Then we should probably worry about what kind of technology are we going to be using? Then I've got to worry about how are we going to be bring drawing into the room? Then what's the agenda going to look like for the day? Is this going to be broken up in different time slots across the week, maybe these smaller springs. How are we gonna get people fed? That kind of stuff. And then this might be like, what's the big topic of the day that everything needs to fit around? And then, okay, now I've got that one and then I pull the next one from the pile and I'll go through that one next week. But you have to do those things as part of a discipline. So when you're in the workshop, you can just pull it out and that's when it looks like magic.
1: You mentioned the Open Explorer Close philosophy and agendas, how do you think about agendas given that you have this clever way of basically being able to generate options and then prioritizing them for, for pretty much anything that you do?
0: There's lots of good places to get activities for you to do, but then you start to recognize not only like, when should we use an opening activity and what should it be or what an opening activity looks like, which is like a warm up. And I think you start to see this pattern. I see this pattern, open, explore, close. I think we're doing it here. We're we're starting Mm -hmm. to explore now. It happens a lot of times I'll liken it to uh, working out or going to play an instrument where you have to, you don't go right into the hardest part. You got to warm up first. You got to play your scales. And then maybe, <laughs> maybe you play it a little slower, and then you crank up the metronome, you play a little faster. Same thing with working, you have to stretch. You don't just get right to the sprinting, but you have to do your warm ups. So that's the same way that we approach the workshop. And so opening the games, and you'll again, you'll recognize what you need to do to get people's head in the room for an opening activity. Then explore is about kind of judgment-free. How does this work? How might it work? What happens if I do this or that? And then closing it 's all about decisions and commitments, which I think is probably the most distinct of the three where it's, you are ranking and prioritizing. And I think those games definitely have a feel for them. Hmm. But I think at some point when you get practiced at, putting agendas together you realize that just because a game however it was written or however it was intended to be one of those three you can use it you can use exploring games to open and opening to explore but that's when you have to change the framing question and really understand what it is you're trying to get out of the workshop and how a change like that fits into the rest of the flow
1: In terms of the closing ones, like I, I find them really interesting because I think usually when people think of innovation and creativity, it's brainstorming. It's very divergent, but then the the most common outcome things is people are very happy but overwhelmed <laughs> at the end of it, and they don't know what to do. And what for me, when I found came storming, the 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 converging and the closing, I thought was just absolutely brilliant. There's so many different ways of narrowing down from option overload to this is the thing we look at next
0: people generally don't leave enough time for it Hmm. and maybe a way maybe either a reason or a, a way to think about closing so that you do leave enough time for it is that when you're evaluating and you're making those decisions in shaving off things that you shouldn't be doing and focusing on the things that you should you're having a lot of divergent conversation still, you're still brainstorming and you're getting to the bottom of it. So it's not so cut and dry that it's still not creative or imaginative or in that brainstorming phase, you end up asking a lot of really good questions about it. And so it's still as much about the conversation that you are creating by forcing people to allocate a hundred dollars across your seven options or placing Uh, a concept on an impact and effort matrix. That might not be the final, but it forces you to look at its relationship to others and ask questions. Why do you think this is going to be more impactful than that? And how are you defining effort? So you're still having a very exploratory conversation, but it does help. And there is a sense of relief when you get to the end and you have your next steps. Everybody knows what they're going to be doing when they get back to their desk or they turn the Zoom off whatever it is now. I should probably say game storming wasn't all original activities. It was this collection of stories that developed out of Silicon Valley, but nobody had ever written down and just put in a collection like a recipe book or like a Grimm's fairy tale.
1: Mm. We've been in one breath talking about workshops and meetings as the same thing, but- Mm. Is there a difference or not really? Or what's the distinction here?
0: I think they're similar in that they, could, they can always be better. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think from a workshop, more planning goes into them. In that sense, meetings are somewhat neglected. What I found interesting about this movement to work from home is that so many people were talking about how you should create an agenda now for your meetings that you're having because they're gonna be virtual and because people are gonna get distracted. And you should engage everybody in your meeting because they (laughs) get distracted. And I was thinking, this is great. I'm glad so many people are very interested in making their meetings better, but why weren't you doing this before? Why weren't you coming up with an agenda beforehand? And why weren't you making sure that in your conference room, that you were getting input from everybody in the room? There's some things that aren't really any different. They may be heightened, but I think what happens is when you have such a drastic change, people's antenna go up, their sensitivity, the radar is more in tune. All right, we got to do this good. And so how do we have a good meeting? Will you make an agenda for it? You should have been doing that before. And I hope whenever we go back in whatever form it is, you, you have agendas for those meetings. In some ways, they're the same. I think meetings can be more like workshops. When you ask that question, the first thing I heard was, a lot of times workshops turn out better. Not, they're, they're not guaranteed to, but I think there's more planning that goes into workshops because you're bringing people together, usually for a period of time I guess that is not standard in a way that you would look at your calendar that week and be like, Oh, I have a lot of meetings this week, 45 minute meetings, hour and a half meetings, even some three hour meetings. What are you doing in a three hour meeting? If you're not workshopping, if you're not doing some of the work, an interesting twist on our virtual situation now is what are you going to spend time in a zoom room for when you had eight hours in a workshop in a full We would want to limit it, of course, but if you had a presentation, if you had to explain a concept, we understand. But if you're going to have a three-hour meeting and everybody's going to be virtual and you're spending any more than 15, 20 minutes on education, meaning, okay, now, so it's going to share their screen and they're going to walk through their PowerPoint, make that part of the pre-work, especially because of the distraction factor. Make sure everything you're doing is engaging. Try to limit the education type activities, the one-way information flow activities to something that you do in pre-work. And like I'm experimenting with the concept, but using the time together to brainstorm, which I know can be difficult, but also to to analyze and to ask questions and have the, the conversation, a structured conversation in the same way that we were talking about those closing games, right? Like use a game, use some kind of structure to have the conversation. Those are the differences. A lot of them have to do around like information flow. And I think if you're not creating something when people are together at the same time, which is maybe the most generic, hygienic definition of a meeting. Yeah.
1: I like this distinction of working in the meeting and not having the meeting to talk about the work uh, that you made. The biggest pushback that I was having when I was trying to organize meetings in a larger company. It's, it's four hours of my time. <laughs> I don't want to go to a four hour long meeting. It's not a meeting, it's a workshop. And then I was still struggling to explain what a workshop is relative to a meeting and why we actually need four hours and you can't just shrink it into half an hour to talk about the key points and then move on to the next half an hour meeting.
0: It's a hard sell, believe me. I try almost <laughs> on a daily basis to, to, to do that people have either been in, in meetings, bad meetings for a long period of time, and they hear you say four hours workshop, and they think, sorry, Luke, not like, <laughs> you really have to <laughs> sell me. Why am I doing that? And then there are other people and, you know, they recognize it right away. And a lot of times I'll just tell them, we get a lot of sticky notes up on the wall and use you know, Sharpies and whiteboards. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And and they get it (laughs) because they've been there before and they've been in a good workshop where you've been productive. And then all the other stuff that comes with thinking out loud and working visually as you are in a workshop, the the team building, the trust, the alignment, the clarity that comes out of them. And it still remains to be seen, I think, at this point, if all of those things map one-to-one when you're virtual.
1: Speaking of that, what are the differences that you've seen now that suddenly everybody is remote compared to actually being physically together and flying people in and seeing each other face to face and then going for dinner and beers afterwards or whatever also happens?
0: Time moves differently online. Time moves a lot faster when you're in an online setting. People are
1: more direct?
0: I feel like I don't have as much time to do all the things that I want. There's so much friction. What I could do in three hours in a physical space, I might need four and a half hours online for. The, the time goes faster. People are more easily distracted. There, it's just so much easier for me to pick up my phone right here. And, oh, what was that text that came in? There's probably, there's a, I guess a little bit of, that probably still happens in the physical space when we're all together. But I think you do have to be really explicit about that. And you could even use that as one of your openers. What do you see on your desk right now that is going to distract you from this meeting, just in the same way we had this, right? If you just go through that at the beginning of the meeting, if I say, oh, it's my phone right here to my right, maybe when I go to reach for it, I'll remember, I'm not gonna let myself get distracted. But uh, so time moves faster depending on the tech that you're using and whether or not it's the first time. And usually the more people you get, the higher the chance that tech is gonna slow you down. Unless you're prepared for that, maybe you have a co-facilitator whose job it is to Handle the tech, some kind of release valve, that's really easy to get as soon as somebody raises their hand or has a question, like everything stops, right and this is the nature of the way the internet this is why we can't talk over each other one, kind of one packet at a time. If there is a sound, if, if there's a sound coming in here and it's louder, and my microphone thinks that I'm talking and trying to ask a question, but somebody else actually is, my, my sound went. So there's all of these, I think, frictions that will slow you down as well. If somebody has a question, a clarifying question on an exercise, you can prepare for it in that you've, you have side rooms or you tell people if you have questions, go in the chat. But that'll slow you down. One person can slow everything down online. Side conversations are easier when you're in the room. Some, mm. Somebody would come over after you've told the group or you've sent them to the breakout rooms to go on uh, in the next step, in the next activity. Somebody would come over and say, I didn't quite get this, or why did you do this? But online, they can ask the question and it stops everything from happening. So that's something that I've certainly found um, happens. It's also a con- an opportunity to impose a Creative constraint of time. We're not going to get it all done here. It's going to feel a little rushed, but that's so you don't self edit. A lot of times we hold back, and those are some of our better thoughts or better ideas. So you can frame it up, but I think you want to let people know that, you know, time is that's in- the expectation. I think so. I think that's important. I've had conversations with some folks who say we talked about behavior and they say introverts are thriving in, in in the virtual world. You should be making your plan, your facilitation style, as inclusive as possible for all personality types in the room to participate. That's something that I've heard. I've got a note. It's on my monitor right now. It says drawing gets eliminated when you go into some of these digital whiteboards. It's all text, and that's great. And I'm glad we have digital sticky notes. But something that I try to do is again, setting expectations and preparing people for meetings Like we're gonna draw. And I, sometimes a notebook, a pen and your camera phone that you upload to, I don't know, a, something not as sophisticated as a mural. It will work just as fine. But when you talk about people being distracted and this is something that we're seeing, we're running a survey right now and the results are coming in. And one of the biggest problems that facilitators or just people who host meetings are having is keeping people engaged. Drawing is a great way to get people engaged, like doing the work, right? Mm. Instead of, oh, we're we're gonna get together for 45 minutes and we're gonna watch this PowerPoint presentation. You You might've been able to do that on your own and come to the meeting with questions about the presentation. But drawing, get people drawing in your meeting and in prototyping their own things and that'll get them engaged and share with it kind of the way i sharing with you and or take a photo of it and upload it to whatever upload it to your, your google slides it doesn't have to be like the collaboration software with all the bells and whistles yeah yeah you lose this rough edge of creation when it's all you know perfectly aligned sticky notes and I didn't crumple up that sticky and throw it on the ground because I thought it was a bad idea or cross it out. You, you never see that evidence there. And so you lose a lot of that texture of what happens in these brainstorming sessions where it's okay if your line's not straight or if it's a stick figure. gets the point across. I think so. And it's also, it's okay. It's, you know it, it creates some vulnerability. If I can't draw a perfect circle, well, that's fine. But I can draw a perfect circle... <laughs> in any of these software programs and everything just looks like it's all perfectly aligned. And that's fun to do sometimes to make sure, oh, I created this thing and all the sticky notes make a perfect grid. But it also sets, it sets a context. It, it adds a little bit of this sterile environment. And I think it's more fun to feel the tooth of the paper when you're dra- dragging your pen across it or to hear the tape I hear that sticky note tear, hear it crumpled up on the ground.
1: One thing that has worked for me as a positive of being online is having things like Google search for images embedded into yeah. Mural. Even if you can't draw it, you can probably find 150 images that'll show you a picture of a, whatever it is, and you can just throw it on for internal purposes. It's fine. There's uh, a
0: process that goes, that your brain goes through as you're trying to draw something.
1: True, yeah. You lose you, that, you, I guess.
0: you you do. And you're not thinking about how the thing works or what's necessary or what are the boundaries. You're thinking, what's the picture that I can grab? And And there may be a a very valuable situation or valid situation that having that right picture at the moment expresses it to the team. But I think from an engagement standpoint, thinking about how you're going to draw that thing or what the boundary is or what the relationship is to something else that maybe popped into your mind as you're, you're drawing that or another thought, how you'd label it. How would you explain it to somebody? It's all done for you with Google image search or when you can bring in the emoji or something. And there's, I think there's a place for those, but I also think there's a place for drawing as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Moving from an abstract concept to an image in and of itself is useful. That was a, a technique in the early days of learning how to do public speaking. If you draw out the entire parts of the speech as actual things. The simple fact of thinking, what's your mnemonic for this part? You've got to think of a specific thing and have an image of it. And then that process in in and of itself made the whole thing more sticky. It wasn't as great as necessarily drawing everything out, but then I guess some people just feel
0: uncomfortable drawing. Which is part of the point of getting yeah. people to draw. And <laughs> that's where, more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of vulnerability that goes. And that's when you're in the room and people are presenting their ideas. They're maybe not comfortable with the way that they draw, but it's also something that you can address as a facilitator to get people to draw. But that feeling of vulnerability, and you can get it in a number of ways, is, is one of the great things about the workshop and the bonding, that really good feeling that when you walk out of the room, you're something. in the thick of it and you did something with your team.
1: The team part of it is really important too, going back to working in public. If everybody does something that makes them feel a little vulnerable, then at least you don't need to go and communicate (laughs) with everyone as to what was decided at the meeting, (laughs) It's just built in game storming. Uh, This is a way of achieving outcomes, or even let's say design being focused on achieving certain outcomes. How has moving design to remote Change that, if at all, is it still pretty much the same? It's just using slightly different tools or and not needing to
0: travel as much, or has it shifted? I don't know if the intended outcome has changed. I've been surprised at just how different I've read these online meetings are from not online meetings. And that was a little surprising at first. We talked about time. We talked about that sterility of being in a digital environment. The biggest thing that changes is maybe the timing and breaking things up. And we've talked about it going from workshop to workflow. Hmm. If someone were to come to me and said, oh, we have to do this thing, our quarterly meeting or whatever, and we have to do it in three hours, I might say, you know what? Can we get two separate meetings of two hours with maybe a couple days in between them. Aggregate, I suppose it's more time. It's four hours than three hours, but having that space in between, if we even met like on a Tuesday and a Friday, and maybe you open and you explore a little bit, then you give a homework assignment (laughs) and then you come back on Friday and you're able to do the closing. You get some shower thoughts in there, right? You get to do what you can't necessarily do if you were to have the full day workshop, right? You can improvise in a workshop and you can read the room. What you can't do though, is you can't have that back of the mind time for what it was that you talked about. Real deep thinking, insight, development, maybe you dream about it and you see something the next day or a few days later in a slightly different way than you did at the time. Sometimes a brief amount of time, can be a good constraint it can be a creative constraint you've got to play to each of these settings strengths i don't want to see a three-hour meeting on on my calendar right i've got a (laughs) three-hour zoom call that's that's deflating as it is two hours is still pretty long but um
1: if it's good it's all right
0: (laughs) it can go by pretty quickly it's also probably easier to find for your 15 people two two two-hour time slots than one three-hour time slot that is said with no hard data. Maybe it's because I would prefer the two-hour meetings. Play to that, and like in the third hour of the meeting, people would be burning out and they would be checking their phone and try to break it up. And yeah, it's fine to give a homework assignment and and then come back to it on Friday and have that deeper thinking time and, and people can reflect and break it up that way. the The process is just a little different. The intended outcomes are the same. Nobody's ever said, at least to me, I want team bonding Or <laughs> I, I just want clarity. It's always clarity on what. Yeah. There's always work that they want done. By the way, if you can have fun doing it, that's a bonus. I think the outcomes, the it's work. I think yeah. what we've always offered is like a, a different or a fun way to do it through drawing and playing games. And it, it translates from the offline environment to the online environment.
1: What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I I think that in addition to these shower thoughts, these visual representations exist in digital form in the meantime too. So to your point about work, if it's Tuesday and Friday, on Wednesday or Thursday, anyone who's at that meeting can go on and add a few Post-its or move stuff around or group them or tweak things and the group learns as a result when they come back to it on friday even if they didn't have a chance to look at it so it is about the group learning process for me at least and and optimizing for that in that workflow the fact that you're virtual does have some aspects to it that are that are helpful too which yeah, you wouldn't you, have in a physical have- environment
0: i did a session it was a, a facilitated session it was a two-day session it was at wework And it it was a public conference room. And at the end of day one, we had a bunch of shit on the wall, but we had to take it down. (laughs) Yeah. Because after five, it became a game room. In your office, sometimes, depending on who has the room next, you have to take your stuff down or you can't keep it up. You don't have to take it down. There's no limited wall space when you're online. People can come in and maybe they copy all of the stickies. It's easy to copy and paste and reconfigure an, an affinity map without having to change the original yeah. and come up with new concepts. A couple
1: of options by reshuffling or... Something. Exactly.
0: So you have that persistence there that you might have to take things down because there's another type of meeting in the room in 15 minutes or it becomes a game room overnight. So we can't leave the things up.
1: Yeah. The workflow concept I think is a good one, particularly if you're talking about working in the meeting and not having the meeting about work. We're getting closer to the end here. Where should people look if they want to find out more about GameStorming to see if it might be right for something they have on their plate at the moment? What's the best way to do that?
0: GameStorming.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. We have a a LinkedIn page. The website is the best way. There are a lot of activities that you can use that make perfect sense offline as well as online, and you can test them out. There's the recipe. you can just go ahead and and try it for yourself and and see if it works. And there's a contact form and you can write in if you've got a question. Dave M at (laughs) gamestorming.group. It's something that I've through the newsletter, let the community know this is a big change for everybody. So if you're wondering about that meeting or if we've got experience or thoughts on a particular piece of software, if you just want to call and talk about work and meetings, let, be happy to and yeah there's a great community
1: for people just starting out the the book would be a good first overview is that fair to say
0: yeah it's a great overview people want to go right to the game they want to go right to the recipe but the first 50 pages make the recipes so much better there's a difference between playing games and game storming and it's really that first 50 pages that talk about things like opening, exploring, and closing. It talks about drawing. It talks about different kinds of perspective and how to get people comfortable drawing. It just sets up the tone, the thing that makes game storming different from playing games. It's the philosophy, really. You can plug any game you want into it, and then you... Like, You'll see games other places that you, oh, okay, now I know where to put it, but you'll present it in a different way. And that's really only available in the book. Like the, those first 50 pages, I'm almost positive aren't on the website. But I highly suggest that you read them if you're interested in games.
1: Yeah, great. Dave, thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. My biggest takeaway from this discussion was that the key difference between a workshop and a meeting is that in a workshop you work during the meeting, so it doesn't matter to some extent how long it takes. Whereas in a typical meeting, you get together to discuss work being done elsewhere. And that might not seem like a big deal, but actually it's very important because it removes needing to communicate afterwards It makes the work more in parallel. Everybody's there anyway. And given that you can do this online, it allows you to get through difficult things quickly. All that being said, I don't think going to the extreme of only doing workshops would necessarily be healthy either. Uh, There's many different kinds of meetings. It's a question of designing the meeting to whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And the workshop outside of the design world is ripe for a comeback in this remote-only world that we work in. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Align Remotely podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an important meeting coming up in your company and you'd like help from an expert facilitator with anything like coming up with a vision, aligning across uh, various departments, uh, or figuring out how to implement a strategy, and then uh, book a call with me at talkwithluke.com.